Well, I'm going to say it right from the outset, okay? Here we go. Love is in the air this morning. There's a lot of sense of love this morning. It is Valentine's Day, and uh, just want you to think about that this morning, because there's a real sense of God's love at work right here with us today. And my message title this morning actually is inspired by some lyrics from one of my favorite love songs. Why don't you in the comments right now write some of your favorite love songs? Maybe it's your song. Maybe it's from a film. Maybe it's a song or a piece of music played at your wedding or when you first met. Write it in the comments. The song I'm talking about this morning is a song called Chasing Cars by Snow Patrol. Uh, and the, the lyrics are this. These, th- those three words, those three words are said too much. They're not enough. Those three words. And obviously, if you're in the know, it's also the soundtrack from Gavin and Stacey's wedding, if you're into Gavin and Stacey. But those three words. You know, there have been so many great words spoken or written down through the years. Many have stood the test of time and are still used today to inspire and to encourage others. Is it possible that there are three words that are greater than all of the others? If so, when were they spoken? Who said them? Are they still relevant today? Well, I've got a few to share with you this morning, just to start us off. They're my top five, okay? Are you ready? Number five is, are these words. Veni, vidi, vici. Veni, vidi, vici, which is uh, Italian. It was uh, Julius Caesar that spoke that. I came, I saw, I conquered. Spoken in first century BC, over 2,000 years ago. Still, a, I suppose, a phrase that is often used still today, and it makes it to my number five of the all greatest, all-time greatest three-word phrases. But number four, for all you Les Mis fans, liberty, egality, fraternity. I'm speaking French this morning. Liberty, egality, fraternity. Spoken in the French Revolution in the 18th century. They mean, those words mean liberty, equality, fraternity, or, or friendship. You know, a, a great three-word motto, even though its origins were quite the opposite. That's my number four one of the all-time greatest list. Number three, their finest hour, their finest hour. Winston Churchill spoke those words, those famous words following the victory uh, in the Battle of Britain during the early stages of World War II. That's my number three. Number two, are you ready? Number two, let it go. No, I'm only kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) Number two are these words, I love you. I love you. Moving, I suppose, away from historical phrases, these, those three words perhaps is the one that you might have thought would be my number one. It's a phrase we use often, but maybe not often enough. A phrase that means so much to the receiver. A phrase that really does change lives. But you know, the greatest three words I'm going to get to later. <laughs> I'm not going to share those with you right now. But I want us to think about the power of love this morning. The greatest love we can know is God's love. The greatest love we can know is God's love. A couple of great verses from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. It says this, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. 
You know, the width of God's love extends across the entire world, and it includes everyone he has created. And I love that thought, that God's love encompasses everybody. He loves you. And that's what I want to to share with you this morning, that God loves you so much. And you may be asking today, can God ever love me? Even after all I've done, and you might have said things like, I've blown it. I've just gone too far. God could never love me. But you know, God does love you. And that love remains constant, unchanging, whoever you are. Whatever you feel might disqualify you, he still loves you. We've been singing it this morning. Your love is never going to give up on me. And I want to say that and declare that over you today. You know, the truth of God's constant love is so evident in this story. I want us to look at a person in the Bible. His name is Peter. He was one of Jesus' disciples, one of the early apostles. And in particular, a moment where Peter is having breakfast with Jesus. Who'd love to have breakfast with Jesus? It's not long after Jesus' death and resurrection. And the story is the, the restitution or restoration of Peter. Let's turn to those verses. It's in John chapter 21. Verses 15 to 22. Let me read them to you. From verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if you want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. You must follow me. I want you to help me out this morning. Why don't you turn to somebody you might be sat next to this morning or in the room. Turn to them and say this. No perfect people. No perfect people. You can write that in the comments as well. No perfect people. It's one of those phrases that we use a a lot at Icon Church. It's because we're a church made up where, where there are no perfect people. We're a church made up of imperfect people. We truly are. I know that because I know you and you know me. (laughs) We're a church made of all kinds of people, different backgrounds. We've all made mistakes. We're imperfect. That's why I love the story of Peter. Peter is a good example for us. The perfect example of no perfect people. He's perfectly flawed. His successes and failures are put on display for all to see. You know, the writers of the Bible could have presented people in their best light, hidden all their flaws. Thankfully, they show us the true nature of man. 
but they also show us the true nature of God, a loving God, a gracious God. That's why it's so compelling. It's full of people like you and me. And what a great example is the founder of the church. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on this guy's confession. You're the rock, Peter. Yet this rock, this Peter, was so imperfect and so perfectly flawed that we see his successes and we see his failures. He was the guy who was the first out of the boat and he's walking on water. A great moment for Peter. And when Jesus asked the disciples, who am I? Peter declares, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Another great moment in his life. And later on in the book of Acts, you know, Peter is preaching bold, boldly on one occasion. And many thousands come to know Jesus and join the church and, and the church grows incredibly. Another great moment in Peter's life. But on the other hand, we also see his mistakes, his failures, his flaws. He's walking on water. And then he takes his eyes of Jesus and begins to sink. And Jesus has to lift him up. And after his great confession of who Jesus is, after Jesus shares his plans about laying down his life, Peter says, no way, I won't let this happen. He tries to change the plan and Jesus has to rebuke him. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before Jesus is arrested, after all the teachings of Jesus about love and grace and forgiveness and nonviolence and turning the other cheek, Peter pulls out a sword and slices off a soldier's ear. And then one of the most memorable failures of all, Peter has just said, Jesus, I will never betray you. I will never deny you. And three times before the cock crows, he denies Jesus. I don't know him. I was never with him. I don't know the man. We see his successes and we see his failures. And the reason this is so important for us to observe is this is how Peter grows. This is how he grows into all that God has for him. We see his honesty and transparency. Every time he made a mistake, he would jump back up again and put himself out there again and again. And as messed up and imperfect as Peter was, Jesus would keep going to him, keep showing up for him. Just look at this moment we've read in John 21 after the resurrection. Peter has gone back to his old job, to fishing. Maybe thinking, I've blown it one last time. You know, this is all I'm good for. What happens? Jesus shows up and restores Peter. And God wants to do something in your life today. God wants to do something in your life today. You don't need to hide or be ashamed. He wants to show up right where you are today. You can see change. You can grow. God can use you today for good. Let's allow him to speak into our lives. Be honest with him. He wants to show up just like he showed up to Peter time and time again. Let God do his work in your life. Let God do his work in your life. I think there are, oh, I've got three simple observations from this moment with Peter and Jesus that are so important for us that can make today a day of change for us. God is doing a new thing. and He wants to do a new thing in your life. The first observation is this. Number one, failure is not final. Failure is not final. We all fail. But you know what? Jesus brings restoration. 
Jesus brings restoration. Sometimes we stumble over that. Even though we all make mistakes, we all fail. We're all imperfect. We can struggle with that idea that God forgives, that God forgives. You know, we don't have to plead with God. God forgives. It's who he is. It's who he is. Great verse in Psalm 86, verse 5. It says, for you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon him. Another version says that God is abounding in love. And he's ready to forgive you today. He's abundant in mercy. And he wants to come and, and just to, to show, shower his love upon you today. And Jesus keeps coming to Peter and forgiving him. Peter's not having to plead for forgiveness. He, he just does it. It's, it's who he is. And that's why Peter can write these words a number of years later from his own experiences. It's in 1 Peter 5 verse 10. Listen to what Peter wrote. He said, I'm the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. That's what God wants to do in your life. Peter experienced that restoration in his own life, and he wanted to share that with others. It's our message too. It's what Jesus has done in our lives, and he wants to do it in your life too. Failure is not final. There is hope, and his name is Jesus, and he wants to restore you. You can experience his forgiveness too today. The second observation is so important is this. You can grow. You can grow. We've got another great quote that we, we use at Icon Church, and it's this. God loves us the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. Let me say that again. God loves us the way we are. The way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. He wants to do something in your life today. We make mistakes. We fail, yet God wants us to learn and to grow. And Jesus loves Peter, keeps coming back to him. He forgives him time and time again. And in this exchange in our story, he's wanting to remind Peter of his actions and show him that he's got greater things for him. Remember Peter denied Jesus three times. And yet three times, Jesus asked the question, do you love me? And three times, Peter responds, I love you. I love you. Those three words, I love you. Are they enough? Are they enough? Is that why Jesus asked him three times, Peter, do you really love me? When I'm reading that, it reminds me that sometimes maybe you've done this to, to your spouse, your loved one. Maybe you've asked them, you know, do you really love me? Jane, my wife, Jane, do you really love me? I think I might have said that a few times. And we probably all ask that question of someone that we love. But I think it's good and we need to look a little deeper as to why Jesus has him three times. Does Jesus need convincing of Peter's love for him? No, of course not. But he wants Peter to think about what he's done and also the plans and the purposes that he has for him. We can be honest with God in who we are, our weaknesses and our frailties, but also open to him, to what he can do in us and through us, despite those shortcomings, to learn from our mistakes. He wants to make us better, to flourish, to grow. I think parenting is a great example of this. If we want our kids to grow, we want 
to help them learn from their mistakes. Yes, we love them, we forgive them, but we want them to, to learn and grow. And if you're a parent, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Peter is going to become the leader of the church. That's why Jesus is talking about him feeding and taking care of the lambs and the sheep. He's going to be a shepherd to the flock. And in this moment with Jesus, he's being shaped. And, and what's been broken in him is his pride. You know, the New Testament was written in Greek, and there are a number of words for the word love. And in this conversation between Jesus and Peter, there are two words used for love. The first one is agape, agape, which means unconditional love, unwavering commitment, a sacrificial love. It's the highest form of love. And there's another word for love spoken. It's the word philia, which is talking about a brotherly love, a warm affection, respect. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, do you agape me? Do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally with unwavering commitment? And Jesus, Peter's response is, Jesus, I fill you. I love you. I fill you. Those three words. And Jesus again, do you agape me? Do you love me? And Peter to Jesus, I fill you. I love you. And you read this and, and you think, does Peter not get it? Is he, is he being typical Peter again? But you know there's something really powerful happening right here. Something incredible happening. And I think it's this. In the past... Peter was over-promising and under-delivering. Peter was over-promising but under-delivering. Yes, I'm all in. I'm going all out. I'll never let you down, Jesus. I won't fail. I'm your man. And here, for the first time, Peter is acknowledging, I don't have perfect love. I'm imperfect. This is important. We see him being humble before Jesus. I've not got it all together. You know, Jesus is going to take his response in this moment and say, I love you. I agape you. I've got plans for you, Peter. And I love that thought, that he's not finished with Peter, that there's a new day, there's a new thing that's about to happen in his life. And I think God wants us to be humble, to say that we need Jesus today, and just watch what God will do. The third and final observation is this, number three, Jesus' love empowers. Jesus' love empowers. When we encounter Jesus and know that he loves us in that way, unconditionally and unwavering, we'll do anything for him. When we're loved by others in that way, you know, parents, husbands, wives, it's empowering. We'll give our lives for them. So Jesus is looking at Peter and saying, Peter, do you love me? I love you this way. Do you love me enough to lay your, down your life for me? It's the kind of love we will sacrifice our lives for, our kids, our spouse. He's saying, do you love me enough to lay it all down for me? I think Paul the Apostle got it. He was a, a sinner saved by grace. He would write that. He would even say that he was the worst of the worst. And this is what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Paul wrote this, for Christ's love compels us. I love that. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all and those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So Paul served from that place of God's love for him, that agape love 
selfless sacrifice. We no longer live for ourselves, but for him who gave himself for us. Now let's see what happens next in the story. From verses 18 and 19 of John 21, it says, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus is talking about Peter's own persecution and his, and his own death. Just like I was crucified, so too will you be crucified. What would your response have been? You know, I, I didn't sign up for this. But for Peter right here, this was an incredible statement of confidence in him by Jesus. Incredible confidence in him. Peter had just caved. He denied Jesus three times. Yet Jesus is saying, in your future, in the moment of trial, you will not cave. I have confidence in you. In that moment when you have to stand up for me again, you will do it. And then he looks at Peter and says this, follow me. Follow me. He said it when he first called Peter. And here he says it again, follow me. And that's exactly what Peter does. He follows Jesus all the way to Rome, building the church along the way, seeing thousands coming to know Christ. And he was finally crucified in Rome. But there's another interesting twist in this story. And sometimes I've missed this and we need to catch it this morning. It's the next couple of verses, 21, verses 20 to 22. It says, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was one, the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Just when you think Peter gets it, he kind of like puts his foot in it again. Jesus, you've just had a go at me big time. Now, what about him? What about this other guy? You know, when I read this, it reminded me of my kids, you know, wanting their siblings to get a telling off too. Maybe you've known that from your own kids. You know, I've, my, our Ben used to blame Amy a lot of the time. And Dan, my eldest, used to just take his telling off. And my youngest, Jake, well, um, of course, he's the favorite. So he got away with, with a lot. So, uh. But when you read this, I just love the relationship between Peter and John. John's the one who's writing this gospel. They're like competitive brothers. I love this. It's so important to the story. You know, what's Jesus' response? Look, why, why are you worried about him? Worry about yourself and follow me. Worry about yourself and follow me. I love that because, you know, the work with Peter was never done. It's just not just one encounter, but it's multiple encounters. And when you read through the book of Acts, you know, Peter still makes mistakes, but he never gives up. Peter keeps going. And Jesus never gives up on him either. He keeps coming to him again and again because there are no perfect people. God loves you. God loves you. That love remains constant and changing whoever you are. Whatever you feel might disqualify you, he still loves you. He's forgiven you. Today is a new day, a new start. You know what the greatest three words ever spoken? For me anyway, what I believe are the greatest three words ever spoken. Jesus spoke them. And it's in John chapter 19, the death of Jesus, Jesus on the cross. 
from verse 28. He said, later, knowing that everything had been now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Three of the greatest words for me ever spoken were at the cross. Jesus spoke those words. It is finished. When Jesus said, it is finished, it was a shout of victory. A shout of victory. The phrase in the original Greek was a word tetelestai. And it was a a very common word in ancient Greek society with, with many meanings. And when Jesus said those words at the cross... I believe he was referring to all of those meanings. It was used by servants and employees who returned to their master with the news that they had finished the task. Jesus had finished the task that God had given him. It's a legal term judges would use to announce that a prisoner had completely served his prison time. Jesus made sure that justice had been served for our sin. It was an accounting term, meaning that a debt had been paid in full. Jesus completely paid our debt. And artists used to use the term, those that are artists, into painting. But when they'd painted a picture to denote their final stroke, they would say that word, tetelestai. And you know, Jesus' sacrifice finished God's great masterpiece by making it possible for the pinnacle of his creation, that's you and that's me, to be redeemed from our sin. He saved us at the cross. He forgave us. He redeemed us. Jesus says, it is finished. You don't need to do anything to have access to God. He's done everything. You just need to trust him, to come to him, to follow him. It is finished. It is paid in full. Jesus completed the work required to bring us back into a relationship with God. Jesus responds with that glorious shout. It is finished. The victory is won. The captives are free. There's a victory that death has been conquered and that we are set free today. What is your response to this amazing love of God for you this morning? That God loves you, that you're forgiven, that it is finished and he wants to do a new thing in your life today.